Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Today, Marcus and I sit down with Edward Collins. He is on a mission to help people achieve financial freedom. And we talk a lot about that. Uh, the way that I actually found Edward was by just being on Instagram, the algorithm, knowing what I like, and his page kept popping up. And the stuff that he talked about and the way that he talked about things was very refreshing. There's a lot of negativity in the online space. You know, he does these great review videos on ideas about saving money, growing businesses, all these different things. And he gives his two cents at the end of it. We will put his handle in the show notes so you guys can go check him out on Instagram and TikTok. This was a great conversation for both Marcus and myself being that he specifically works with U.S. business owners, Marcus and myself both being business owners. We talked about a lot of stuff, a lot of growing pains that you know one can experience as a new business owner, some of the things you need to think about when starting a new business, and sort of everything in between. As always, make sure you check out the Hybrid Strength Coach app. We have every program possible from Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman, to bodybuilding, and even general fitness. You can try any of those programs completely free just by clicking the seven-day free box at checkout. Sit back, relax, enjoy another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Before we get into the episode, just want to give a quick shout out to Whitmer Rejuvenation Clinic. They are a sponsor of ours and we took them on because we talk a lot about testosterone, hormone replacement therapy, PED use, all that stuff. And because of that, you know, while we have opinions on that, we are not professionals in that space. If you have questions about whether you're a good candidate for that or not, these are the people that can help you with that. And Marcus, I know that you have been a customer of theirs for, you know, quite some time. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I I was going through the same thought process years ago and I had a lot of questions about, you know, the, the state of my blood work, uh, my testosterone levels. And as a performance athlete, it was always a question that I had in the back of my mind. Guys, please don't go to your local gym bro or guy on Instagram to get these questions answered for you. Women Rejuvenation Clinic provides solid medical advice. They read your blood work, they go through the results with you and they give you actionable and realistic steps for dealing with potential medical problems and not bullshit. This is for actual medical advice. So please, you know, if you have questions on this stuff, let them take your blood panels and give them a chance, give them a consult. And I promise you, they'll, they'll treat you right. I know they've done that for me over the years and I can only speak positively about my experience and the type of advice they've given me. Check them out in the show notes. They provide comprehensive assessments over telehealth now onto the show. I had to bring that up a couple times, not Ah, the past six months, because the last six months, at least in the real estate business, have been so up and down because of Depends how expensive where. things are. Like in South well, Florida, definitely. I mean, listen, we're, I think we're fortunate. Most of my work in our business happens here in yeah. the Southeast. So yeah. we're... South Florida is fine. Like the, yeah. the, the demand here is still over the top. It's like crazy. Oh, really? People are still... Uh, relocating to south florida like we still have millions of residences that are needed that unfortunately oh, just don't exist because florida has no more land south florida to build upon i mean well, everything that's buildable here right right but <laughs> everything that's buildable in this this area has been built like land wise like there's some land that you maybe put some stuff up but really you're not yeah. going wide anymore the only real option is to go vertical and the time frame for that type of construction is really, really long. So yeah. it's not going to satisfy the demand in the next two to five years. No. And it's completely unaffordable. Yeah. Like if you're – I feel so lucky to have bought when I did because mm -hmm. if I was out there searching for like a nice normal house on a nice normal lot to buy, yeah. 
like now, yeah. like I was three and a half years ago. My wife and I bought our first place. Well, it's unaffordable uh, for two ridiculous. reasons, right? Like it's, it's getting hit by two fronts. You have the unaffordability just on the price. Mm-hmm. And then you also have unaffordability with regard to the interest rate on mm-hmm. ca- cost of capital, right? Oh, so yeah. those two like double whammies, like definitely can leave a lot of people waiting. Not changing anytime soon. With that being mm-hmm. said, welcome to the show. Awesome. Appreciate you coming on. 100%. I'm yeah. happy to be here. We're both super excited for, for the people watching and listening, but also for ourselves as business owners. It's always good to talk yeah. to somebody who's uh, smarter than us. No, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. We'll, we'll see. We'll exactly. see. Time will tell. No, yeah. no, for sure. I, I appreciate you making the time. It's no, uh, it, we, we do a lot of uh, athlete facing stuff here. Yeah. We have people on and then it's a lot of news and just talking about stuff we like to talk about so it's nice to get a change of pace every once in a while i'm here to here to have a good conversation with you guys so yeah awesome so give us a ten thousand foot i don't want you to write a biography for us oh goodness (laughs) Um, the novel version but who are you and and why are you here well my name is edward collins i'm a serial entrepreneur um over the course of the past uh two and a half decades i've built and scaled nine businesses that are still in our portfolio at the moment oh wow Uh, we own residential and commercial real estate as well um, yeah, I, I, I'm a lawyer. I specialize in tax, estate, and business law. And, uh, I, most of the businesses that we own are oriented towards entrepreneurs. So, and helping business owners specifically. So I own a private wealth management firm. I own an accounting firm. I own a fractional CFO company. I own a coaching business for entrepreneurs, teaching them how to actually build a business the right way and all the structures to put in place, all the things that, don't really get talked about on like social media because like oh, you have yeah. 60 seconds to talk about it. And right. there's a lot more that goes into business operations than that 60 second sound clip. So yeah. um, we actually teach them how to, how to do it the right way. Yeah. So it's fun. How I first stumbled onto your page was, um, I had seen you come up uh, a couple of times and I was seeing the review videos that you were doing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And what I actually really liked about that is, you know, even for people like us who are somewhat educated in, in the finance space, we are both uh, majored in economics mm-hmm. and uh, my dad's a portfolio manager at Raymond James. So I've always had okay. that, that sort of influence. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see a ton of these videos and it'll just be some guy and he's telling you some seemingly too good to be true loophole, Yes, you know, and, uh, you don't really know the background of the guy, right. how half-baked his idea is, anything like that. So it was nice to see those videos and then either have them affirmed or right. disproven. Um, and then just, I guess, the algorithm pushed out. I liked your page. So you kept coming up yeah. and then that's when I when I ended up following what you. I, I think I saw one where it was a guy talking about, here's a hack on how to get a hundred thousand dollars with with no business history and they're talking about oh, opening yeah. an llc mm-hmm. going to the sba and applying for a term loan or a credit card or something with no financial history yeah no tax return history for the business and they just make it seem I don't, is this one you did yeah okay i one. thought so i, I didn't one. want to get it confused but i think i think i saw this on your page and i'm like wait a second this guy's saying you can just open an llc and get a business line of credit i'm like yeah. i'm I've been around the block a bit, and I don't think that's true. It is not. It is not. That's so much more that goes into it. Thing ever, right? Yeah, but (laughs) that type of content is all over social media. I know. Like it's all over. Whether you're talking about TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. It's everywhere. And what's interesting, like, so I'm very new to social media. So you're doing great. Oh, thank you. (laughs) 
But like, I'm very new because I, I didn't grow up with this stuff. Like I, yeah, yeah. my first business I started as an adult, I started my first business in 1998. So I predate Google, predate YouTube, That's like all that sort of stuff. Rooms like, back then. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and with dial up to get into them. Oh, so yeah. it's crazy uh-huh. stuff. Um, but on, on social media these days, you have all these people who are just sharing this content out. And the reason why we decided to get on and do this is someone had shown me something on social. And again, I'm very new to it. So this is like something that's less than a year into it for us. Um, and they showed me this video and I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is this is completely wrong. It's not not just slightly. It's to the point where if you did this, you're probably committing fraud. What was it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was something with, with regard to business and business operations and things of that nature. But it was like just completely wrong. It was like tax evasion schemes. It was crazy. And I looked at the follower account that this guy had. Yeah. And it was like, 25,000 followers. And yeah. I'm like, 25,000 people are listening to what this guy says. Yeah. And it's not just slightly wrong. It's completely They're probably wrong. fake. I just. Yeah. Well, oh, maybe that. But even even if it's 100 people. Yeah. Out of the 25,000 that are real, that are listening to it. Those 100 people, if they did this, they're in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. So we started to do some like talking head videos like on Instagram. We were posting relatively speaking regularly. Uh, but we got to a point where I was like, nah, this, I, I need to say something. So I felt compelled. And so, again, this is less than a year uh, of us being on social media. Um, we we got to a point where this past April, we had about across all of the platforms. Uh, so Instagram, uh, TikTok, and Facebook, we had about in total 6,000 followers across everything. Um, we started doing these uh, reaction videos where I just, I just talk. So a lot of people don't know mm-hmm. how we do it. Like a lot of people think it's scripted. It's literally not scripted at all. My team, I don't even look at the videos. My team gets videos submitted by the by the community. They decide which one mm-hmm. I'm going to do. They'll load it on my phone. They literally turn the camera on and they record me watching it for the that's first time. Awesome. That's oh, it. So that's There's no script. I watch it for the first time. So that's why sometimes like my facial reactions are kind of like, like, what the? F- like, like, it, like <laughs> I, it's just like, it's a natural response. It's very authentic because I just react in the moment because I'm watching it in that moment. And then I literally put the phone down. There's no script and I just respond and they just record it. And the only editing that happens is they take out the ums and the, the pauses in, in space. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no script at all. It's just me talking based on my own knowledge, based on what's going on in the particular video. And we started doing those those reaction videos, and we're now what six hundred uh, yeah, over six hundred something thousand on TikTok. Wow. Uh, in, another six hundred thousand on Instagram. Over six hundred thousand dollars. Six hundred thousand on Facebook. I mean, there's like the community, and we haven't bought any audience. Like, there's no like purchasing subscribers right. or whatever it there's is there's a huge need for this we got a guy like just like you and yeah. the fitness community who we just had on he's yeah. like exposing fitness frauds and he's yeah. just totally blown up but i think there's there's this i think there's a hole in the, in the marketplace let's call exactly. it for authenticity in the business world and in the fitness world like like we're heavily involved in and he's so hard to tell what's bullshit so when you get a guy that's educated has some yeah. kind of background in this and they're just like this guy is completely full of it well i think know? that that's a key point i think if you're if you're looking to differentiate yourself on social mm-hmm. you have to have unfair advantage otherwise you have to work really hard right so mm-hmm. don't get me wrong i do work hard but i don't work as hard as other people on social there's a lot like for instance as an example 
Mr. Beast, when he was getting started, again, I'm, I'm doing a lot of research since I'm now on social. I'm learning about yeah. all these different people. Mr. Beast, when he first got started, was he didn't have really an unfair advantage. He had to work hard. So he was dedicating hours upon hours. Like there was one like 17 thing, hours a day. I know. It was crazy stuff. And like he would do videos for 24 hour sessions where he would just say someone's name like over and over and over again. Like that's working hard. <laughs> He didn't have an unfair advantage, so he had to work hard in order to build his community. And now he's like, now he doesn't have to work as hard, obviously, because he has some. He has now. Now he has unfair advantage because he has like a whole team yeah, that can do this. He has, he has access to capital and all that. I have an unfair advantage. It is what it is. I am trained from an academic standpoint. I'm a lawyer. I specialize in tax, estate, and business law, so I know this stuff academically. But I also am a business owner. So I know how it actually gets applied mm. in real life and business. Whereas most people who are on socials who have no academic training, they're just almost always just repeating something they heard somewhere else in social. Yeah. Right. And it that, uh, again, that you said it earlier, that too good to be true type of thing. Yeah. It most oftentimes is. Like if, if you hear yeah. something online and that sounds too good to be true, it most likely is too good to be true. Yeah. And what I do is I just I literally just listen to what's being said. My team records me listening and then I put my phone down. And they record my response. And so far, that's been going really well. And I'm, I'm very fortunate um, where our community is extremely active. Like we get hundreds of comments per day across all the platforms. Um, and not to mention all the DMs we get, we probably get hundreds of DMs a day as well. And now I have a team that's helping and going in and jumping in and mm -hmm. responding and pushing people. And then I also jump in too. So like a lot of times people will ask, well, is this actually Edward? And I'm like, yeah, this is Edward. I'm, I'm, it's 1130 at night. I'm getting ready for bed. I figured I'd jump in for 15 minutes and I jump in and I, I respond to people and they ask real questions about what's really happening in their own life. They'll share their situation, which is Pretty interesting because they share like real stuff on mm -hmm. social media with a guy they haven't met yet. People are pretty forthcoming and, and with, uh, with information, yeah. And they yeah. share it. And then based on the information they put into the commentary, I'll give them my honest uh, counsel as to a direction for them to go. Um, obviously, when it comes to advice, I don't give actual advice because I don't know enough about their situation. But I, I point them in a direction where they can get the advice that they need. Yeah. So I say, hey, go look at this. Go research this. Ask the people you're working with this question specifically so that you can get the outcomes you desire. I think that's a big uh, value add that you ha have as well that you just mentioned earlier. Not only are you formally educated mm -hmm. uh, on the topic, but you're active in owning and running businesses. Yeah. And that's that's something that I always find valuable, whether it's you're going to a doctor or you know whatever it is, mm -hmm. is you ask the person, what would you do if it were you? Right. And I think it's a lot easier to answer that question when you're actually practicing in real life. Tremendously. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's uh, you know, that's that's super valuable. And it's always telling you a little bit before the show, our audience um, is kind of the audience that would probably well, actually, let me ask you that first. Sure. What What is your audience mostly? What makes is it men, women, it's, age group? Yeah. So if you look at our demographics, about seventy percent or so is male. Um, age, most of our age bracket, like about sixty to seventy percent of our age bracket, is from the age of twenty five to thirty five. Um, uh, about ninety percent of our our followers are U S based, so they're U S U S uh, based followers. Um, and yeah. 
they're, most of them fall either on entrepreneur or pre-entrepreneur stage, like meaning they're currently a business owner mm-hmm. or they're launching a business now and they're doing research to find out how do I do it the right way, that sort of thing, which is actually a really good thing. Like before you do something, you should figure out a little bit how to do it, do, do it the right way at least. Definitely. So the starting point then, like the, yeah. and this is the first thing I wanted to dive into. Mm-hmm. You know, you're giving advice to young entrepreneurs and business owners. Where do you start? What's the number one thing? You know, beside, uh, we don't need to get into forming an LLC and and, and getting a business bank account because that stuff. Yeah. There's, there's, I'm Structure, sure there's structure's some... important though. I mean, oh, I'm sure. selecting the right structure, right entities and all oh, that sort of stuff that. In, in, impact that. everything. I mean, more, let's think about it philosophically, right? Because yeah. that's how I like to approach this whole you know journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you start from your point of view in terms of, you know, Somebody's looking to start a business. Like, where do you start that conversation? The with very somebody? first thing I get into is mindset and just financial literacy, because okay. those two things will determine whether or not you actually move forward with the other stuff that's needed, right? Because if you have the right mindset and you're financially literate, you can then apply the things that you're mm-hmm. learning to your own situation and make good, fully informed decisions. So we spend a lot of time on those types of things, like having the right money mindset, having the right financial literacy concepts in place. Can we talk about that? Like, sure. What, is, what, like, is, what um, does that mean? Like, so, so I like simple definitions for things. Like, yeah. for instance, assets and liabilities, as an example. Mm-hmm. My definition of an asset is anything you control that generates cash flow for you. Meaning you don't have to own something, but you have to control it. And by your control, it generates cash flow. Mm-hmm. Under that definition, though, a lot of things don't fall, which most classical trained financial professionals would say, Edward, you're wrong. That's not a definition of an asset. Like the AICPA will say, oh, that's not what falls onto a balance sheet. Um, But the problem is, if you look at most accountants, they don't have really good businesses, right? So don't necessarily take the advice of someone who isn't doing it. Sure, yeah. But if you have that very basic definition of an asset, the opposite, anything that takes money from you is a liability. So if you go into life, whatever you're doing with that lens, now you can look at things as to, will it help me or will it hurt me? Because an asset helps you because it generates cash flow. Cash flow is literally lifeblood of everything from a financial freedom standpoint. So if you look at everything that you're going through in life and you say, okay, is this an asset or a liability? You can make more fully informed decisions. Mm-hmm. You go into the mall. Oh, pretty much everything in the mall is going to be a liability, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to take money from your wallet. It's not going to generate cash flow unless you're going to go and try to flip something, right? Yeah. You go into like a, a Walmart and you flip it on on Amazon, whatever it may be. Um, that can take a liability and convert it into an asset. So these are some very basic definitions. But when it comes to like things like financial freedom, most people don't understand, one, what that is or even how to define it. I It, it can boil down to just... 10 words. Like it's simple. It's so simple that most people ignore it. You want to know that those 10 words are? Sure. Yeah. Free cash flow greater than your daily needs and wants. That's it. That's financial freedom. If you have more cash flow than you're spending to live your life, that's the excess greater than, you are in a state of financial freedom. But the problem is most people who ever attain that they attain it in a, a sense of what I call richness. They become rich. And don't get me wrong, it's way better to be rich than it is to be poor. I've been both. Um, <laughs> but the but the reality is if you're rich, that means you're the one who's generating the cash flow. You're doing something. You're either operating your business, you're operating your real mm-hmm. estate, whatever. You're doing the thing that generates the free cash flow. And being rich means your financial freedom is never permanent. 
because if you stop doing the thing, your cash flow suffers, which puts you into a state of lack, meaning you don't have enough to, to, to satisfy, and then you have to start eating assets in order to satisfy your needs. Um, so that's never a financial freedom permanent environment. Mm. So what I try to teach business owners how to become is to become wealthy. Because wealthy is the same thing. It's still free cash flow greater than your daily needs and wants, but it's no longer you generating the cash flow. You've now accumulated assets that consistently perform for you, whether you're there or not. Like, um, as an example, um, my family and I, we went away at the end of spring, beginning of summer. So we were in a couple, we were a couple weeks in Switzerland. We then, from there, we we took this amazing train ride through the Swiss Alps, which was awesome. Um, and we went to uh, the Lake Como region, uh, Lake Como region of Italy. We uh, were there. From, were you there? Uh, uh, we were there. It was May through June. So I was there in June. This yeah. Year. So yeah. yeah. So we yeah, were probably like right. Oh, beautiful. 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 Yeah. So we were there for a couple of weeks, and then from there we went to Spain for a couple of weeks. Oh, nice. Um, all my businesses kept performing. Like all my businesses kept generating cash flow because I have the right systems in place, et cetera. So all my real estate kept generating cash flow, whether I was there or not. Because again, when you're accumulating assets with a business mindset, you get through an, you can go through an evolution. Let me say this. You don't necessarily get an evolution. You can go through an evolution if you plan correctly, if you do it by design, where the things you create can help you live the life you want. Um, but again, if you do it just by default, meaning not planning, mm -hmm. you usually, if you get to a point of financial freedom, that's a, a, fr a freedom of richness. And again, don't get me wrong, that's way better than being poor, but there's so much more and there's so much of, of a better opportunity for you mm -hmm. if you just shift your mindset. So these are the types of things I'll talk with business owners about, like figure out what are the goals and objectives you have and how can we get there Again, I speak mostly to business owners. Like sometimes I'll speak to individuals who are on the cusp of becoming a business owner or who, or who want to get uh, into uh, investment, real estate, things of that nature, mm -hmm. which real estate done the right way is business. Oh, so yeah. I'm very biased towards business. Um, but for the most part, if you do it the right way, you can get to a point where you actually can start to fire yourself, right? Because most business, you guys know this, right? You, mm -hmm. you're, you've been in business for a while. Sure. Um, the very first stage of business ownership isn't really business ownership, right? It's job ownership. You own yeah. a job. Or yeah. most of the time, you own many jobs. Right, right. sure. I've been there. Um, what what can happen, that doesn't always happen, but what can happen is you can get to a point where you can fire yourself from those jobs Bye. and hire yourself as manager. Manager of either people, process, procedure, whatever it may be. But you're hiring yourself now as manager. Great position to be in, but it still requires a lot of work. Eventually, if you do it the right way and you plan the right way, you can fire yourself as manager and hire yourself as CEO. And then again, great situation, but not always ideal for wealth creation. It's good for revenue generation, but not necessarily mm. wealth creation. If you can get to a point, again, it has to be by design. Very rarely happens. I, in fact, I've never seen it happen by, de by default. But if you, have, if you do it by design, you can eventually fire yourself as CEO and just become an advisor to the business, which takes way less of your own time. Sure. What's that? making that transition look like? Because I would say I'm probably at the stage where I'd still consider myself a manager yeah, of yeah. my business. I would say so also. Like, yeah. Which is a much better place to be than in the job position. It definitely is. But yeah, I think, I think I'm in the same spot. So <laughs> the, the main difference is you have to... You have to change your skill sets, right? Mm -hmm. You have to shift your skill sets from being the operator to becoming a talent acquisition coach, right? You're looking to mm -hmm. find the right talent to 
actually replace everything you're doing. Like literally you're firing yourself, which means the person you want to hire should be better than you at what you were doing. So you have to become really skilled mm-hmm. at understanding talent and understanding how to recognize talent, um, filter talent, because if you if you are getting any type of exposure, a lot of people are going to be interested in trying to work with you. And that may not necessarily be the right people to bring onto your team. Yeah. So you have to be really good at understanding talent and talent mm-hmm. acquisition. Um, but if you can get to a point where you're you're graduating through that from the CEO now to the advisor level, the next thing to fire yourself from is an advisor, and then you just become an investor to the business, right? And now, now it's just a financial relationship between you and the thing you own. You're not doing anything. You're not doing any advisory. That's like the ultimate guidance. step in the business evolution, right? That's for, probably for, not for me. Ult- it probably would be. Yeah. I, a lot of people though don't like that being the stop. A number of people, which you probably have heard of as well, is people who exit businesses, right? They they position the business for sale and they don't want to even own it anymore. That's so no, not even an investor anymore. They're yeah. just exiting from that business and they're selling, they're getting a windfall. Yeah. Totally fine. That's not the way we, like my family and I do it. Like we tried, we're, our goal is to acquire. Yeah. Our goal is to to get to a point where we're, we're just constantly in accumulation from a business standpoint and take it from there. Okay, so what was your first business? My very first business was uh, the summer after second grade in school. Like uh, I, 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 I like uh, these stories. Yeah. So, um, oh man, I, I think I mentioned this before. Like my family, I is not from money at all. Yeah. Like we we had to struggle really hard just to get up to the poverty line. So I'm fifth of six kids. I have two older brothers, two older sisters, one younger sister. I lost my father when I was 13. Like it was like the financial hardship was just part of life. So. I did not know anything else than that. Other than like vicariously, I could see some of my friends, like they had money, I could tell because they had houses that were way, way bigger than the little thing that we lived in. Um, and they had like clothes that were new all the time. Like mm-hmm. I could I could witness that. I didn't really appreciate it because it wasn't my world, it was just different. But I can remember um, there was this one day, um, it was during the summer after second grade, I had asked my mom for a toy that I saw on a commercial um, that I was watching like Saturday morning cartoons or something like that. And she said, um, I asked, could I get the toy? And she says, she said, no, uh, we can't afford that. That was almost always the same response, that that lack mentality. And I, mm-hmm. I God bless my mom. I, I lost her a long time ago, but she's like, we lacked in a lot, but we never lacked in love. So like my mom loved us like to the moon and back type of thing. Um, but that meant she didn't have any financial literacy at all. So she was teaching me what she knew, which mm-hmm. was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lack mentality was always there. So no, we can't afford it. But one of the things, the true blessings that I had is that she would always follow up that statement with, if you want it bad enough, figure out how to get it. Right? No, we can't afford it. But if you want it bad enough, figure out how to get it. So I was watching... I'm going to date myself. You guys probably don't know this. Um, I was watching this episode of Dennis the Menace. You probably don't oh, know. Yeah, I know. You I remember know, that? Right? Yeah. So, no, no, no. Okay. Yeah, you, never, you didn't watch it in real life. <laughs> no. I watched it when it was like coming out. Like that yeah, sort of yeah. thing. I'm old. Um, but I was watching this episode and he had a lemonade stand. I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. I can, get, I can get money. I can buy my toy. So I did it. I literally opened a lemonade stand across the street from my house. And I made money. Like I actually had money in my hand, which I... Didn't get because I didn't have allowance or anything like that. Right. Like I never had like I had money in my hand. It wasn't a lot, but I think we were selling uh, each cup of lemonade for like fifty cents. And nice. I can remember the little like um, uh, the no name brand of the Dixie cup. It wasn't Dixie yeah. cup because couldn't afford those. 
Um, and I was um, making the lemonade in old gallon milk jugs that we would have. Nice. So I'd put the water and the lemonade mix, the Kool-Aid mix in there. Um, and I got to a point where I, I made money that one day. I didn't go buy the toy though. So what I did is I went and I spent the money on candy. There was this little candy store that was within walking distance of the house. And I can remember bringing that candy back and um, I basically was sharing it with my friends. They were like, well, where'd you get all this candy? I said, oh, I bought it. With what money? Oh, I made money. How'd you make money? And then I, I recruited like a bunch of my friends to operate lemonade stands for me in my community. Like, like that was my- You were franchising. I was franchising, it was crazy. Um, and I made a ton of money that summer. And it was like, that was my journey into entrepreneurism, even though like I couldn't spell the word at that time, let alone know what it meant. Yeah. Um, but that that was my first taste of like knowing that if you want something, you can actually get it. You just have to do things that you're not doing you're like now. A franchisee before you even got out of elementary school. I, exactly right. Um, That's great. Yeah, and I, I went through a lot of different evolutions in in like what I learned as yeah. a as a as a young person. So like I I became a paper boy next, and then. I eventually started selling um, newspaper subscriptions door to door. That was that was a whole nother type of environment. But it, it, one thing I can say is, if anyone in the audience wants to develop a skill, sales is definitely a skill you want to develop. Oh yeah. Because in everything you do in life, you're selling yourself a service or a product. And if you want to really hone your skills, do door to door sales for at least a period of time. I've heard a few people say that because yeah. the. You have to you have to develop thick skin, otherwise you literally will like implode. There's a couple <laughs> of those guys that have really made it big on social media. There's one dude I just saw recently. I don't know if you heard of him. It seems like Andy Elliott. Not familiar. Not familiar. A lot of yelling. Okay. He's like a car. I think <laughs> him and Greg Cardone kind of come from the same yeah. uh, tree. I don't know what your thought is on his real estate model, but I uh, want to ask yeah. you. We'll we'll get to it. Okay, uh, but they they were like car salesmen yeah, yeah. and like. I look at their model of training car salesmen and I'm mm -hmm. like, man, I would never, ever buy a car from somebody like that yeah. in my life because the the tactic that they're employing is so much pressure and yeah, like they're using these really scripted word tracks, which I get it. I understand that, yeah. but that doesn't really like, I could never apply that to my business. I would get fired from every bank that employs us would yeah. just throw our asses to the curb. Yeah, I think I think obviously when it comes to sales you have you have two main approaches. You have right. the um, convincing approach and you have the persuasion approach. Convincing approach is me trying to get you to believe what I believe. That's sure. problem. that's that that's usually that's the typical um, car salesman approach, right? I'm mm. forcing my belief system onto you and I'm going to use a lot of pressure to do it. I may mm. use some some strategy around language in yeah. order to influence you to do X, Y, and Z. The persuasion approach is different. The persuasion approach is saying, okay, let me diagnose the situation. Let me help you uncover what's going on in your situation. Yeah. And if I happen to have a solution for it, well, then I'm morally obligated to share it with you. Because if I don't, then I'm morally obligated to tell you that too. But if I can diagnose that you have a problem, and if I have a solution, I should share the solution with you. Yeah. And now it's not sales. Mm -hmm. Now it's me saying, okay, you've stated that this is your objective. This is a, a way to get there. If you're interested, great, I'll tell you more. If you're not, that's fine too. Because now I'm not married to the outcome. I'm married to the process. And that's what I learned door-to-door -door sales. Like I was knocking on lots of doors every single day um, because I the, the whole experience was kind of bizarre because like I, I 
this guy would drive around. He had this van. And he would go around to the neighborhoods, pick up the kids who were part of this group, which nowadays that's like totally yeah, weird. Whoa. Totally weird. Yeah, but, but yeah right? right? <laughs> but we'd get in this van. He would drive us to these other neighborhoods and we'd literally get out of the van and walk door to door, knocking on the doors. And I learned really quick that I didn't really care what the person said, yes or no. I just wanted them to say something so that I could not move it to the next door. Because I, I knew it was like a volume thing. Um, mm. I would just go through this process. So I, a lot of people in sales are so committed to the win. Like they want to get the sale. I totally get it. But if that's the, the, the thing that's driving you, it's hard to hide that in the sales discussion, right? The, yeah. the, the counterparty is going to listen to what you're saying. And if that's the influence behind what you're doing, it comes into that conversation, no matter how hard you try to hide it. But if you're coming truly from, I don't care whether you say yes or no, like quite literally, I just want you to make a decision because a decision leads to outcome. Mm -hmm. Maybe doesn't lead to outcome. Maybe it's like, nah, like maybe I'll get to it. Maybe I won't. That, that's not good for anyone. A yes is good because then it tells you come my way. A no is good too because it tells you don't come my way. Figure out a different way to go. Both are good solutions because yeah. they lead you to an outcome. I've heard um, that saying, uh, no is the, probably, I don't remember exactly how it was phrased, but it was like, no is the best answer you could get because it's your fastest way to your next yes or exactly. something like that. And, that and, and ultimately, from a sales standpoint, that's what I learned going door to door. And then then I got oh. into this weird phase in my life where um, I, I sort of got like, in. I, I fell in love with the concept of potentially going into a higher level government law enforcement, specifically FBI. So... Um, I went to uh, undergrad for, I was a double major. I was history psychology major with a minor in political science and a certificate in government service administration. So I left undergrad with the intent of going into the FBI. So I started working for the United States Department of Justice. Um, I worked for DOJ and I learned really quickly that I hated the government. Like, Welcome with, to the club. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am not a fan at all. Like, what, what about it in your role specifically? I saw a lot of the corruption and the the inefficiency of bureaucracy. Can like, you speak to the corruption part? Because that's yeah, a pretty hot topic um, these days. It really is. I, I think that one of the things you have to recognize for governmental agencies, let's just stick with the agency concept, because this is like throughout all government. Your, but Your three letters. Yeah, any three letter sure. environment. Um, the way the, the seat of power is budget, right? That's the seat of power. The bigger your budget, the stronger you are in government. That's the more power you have. But the problem in government is that you are incentivized to spend your budget. Because if you don't spend your budget, the next year you automatically get less, which means right. your power diminishes. So you are sort of incented to spend money whether you need to or not. And that is just completely opposite of the way I think. Like I'm looking to figure out how can I spend the least amount and get the most amount of value from that. Right. Um, within reason, obviously. I, I'm not trying to like spend zero and get something for nothing. Sure. Um, but government is just the opposite of that. And I would I would bring a lot of these topics up it, to the people who were higher than me. Um, and there was one event that, that took place that basically I came up with a solution to do something at a much better um, operational cost implemented it and do it by doing so I eliminated jobs and my boss's boss's boss so three levels above me 
came into my office and said, uh, Edward, the next time you have a bright idea, keep it to yourself. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Whitmer Rejuvenation Clinic. We talk a lot on this podcast about TRT, all of the things involving exogenous hormones. And because of that, we get a lot of questions about it. And we are not experts in this sense. If you want to speak to real experts, because we don't feel comfortable giving any sort of opinion on this, speak to Whitmer Rejuvenation Clinic. These guys are the best, they're legitimate doctors. They're not going to push any BS on you. They're going to do a legitimate consult and tell you if you're a good candidate or not. All of the links to this are in the show notes as well as their Instagram handle. Check them out and I promise you're going to have the best service possible in this space. Oh, like that was my breaking point. Sounds like a nice guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she she wasn't. Um, but um, I made a decision in that literally before she even left my office because I knew what it was all about. Like I I because mm-hmm. there was uh, there was a lot of like history behind where I had at that had gotten to at that point. So before she even got out of my door, I'd made a decision. I was resigning. I handed in my resignation that day and I was escorted out of the building because of my <laughs> level of clearance. I could stay. I didn't even get to pack up my office. They put wow. it in a box and mailed it to me. Um, but I left. I didn't have a plan B. So uh, what I started doing, because I had always had this interest in money, obviously going all the way back to second grade. Um, I started uh, doing these workshops, these public workshops at public libraries. I, I grew up in New Jersey. I was born and raised there. I, at the time, I was still living in northern New Jersey, which is where I went to university and where I was working for the government. Um, so I started doing these workshops at local libraries, teaching people how to budget, like just teaching people about personal finance. And uh, one guy came up to me afterwards after one of these sessions. Now, I think I was charging like $5 for people to attend. Thanks. And I think I was spending like $4.50 on all the like, <laughs> coffee and donuts and all the stuff for them. Um, so I wasn't making really, like I was making no money. And um, this guy came up to me afterwards and asked me if he could buy me lunch the next day. And I was like, yes, 100%. I can't afford lunch, so you buy it, I'm happy. <laughs> and I uh, went to lunch and he goes, uh, have you ever given thought to getting into financial services? And honestly, I had not. I'd never thought of that. Like that was not like my career path. Like my mm-hmm. career path was FBI for the longest time that I could remember. And now my my dream had been shattered. Um, I said, no, I hadn't. But I did a little bit of due diligence, some research. And I started my very first financial planning practice in 1998. Um, and How old were you? Uh, I, was, I was a kid. I was like in my early 20s oh, at that point. Oh, my God. And um, wow. yeah. But um I, I had made a decision because I was so young. I knew that it would be hard for people to trust me with their money because I was a kid still. Mm-hmm. So I made a decision that I was going to learn as much as I possibly could about financial matters. Like I, I dove headfirst into portfolio theory and understanding the markets and cash flows and financial planning. I, I learned a lot to a point where like I wanted to be the person who knew all the answers. I know that sounds very arrogant and I don't, I didn't mean it from an arrogant standpoint. Yeah, yeah. I just knew that I but needed to, to if you're I had to, I, yeah. I was so young. That's so I objection. had to get to a point and I, I got to that point. Like I learned a ton in a relatively short period of time, but what, what I failed to do um, is I failed to learn how to run a business ah. and I ended up making every mistake that is in business. Like if there's a book on a bookshelf <laughs> somewhere that's like what not to do in business, I literally took every page and did it. Can like you talk I, about a few of those? Yeah. Oh my God. It, from everything from hiring people that one, I should never have hired in the first place and I could never afford to pay them to um, not really realizing that 
electric bills have to be paid mm. like so like <laughs> like like silly stuff like yeah, like yeah. it's common sense for most people it was not common for me because i didn't grow up in a business environment i didn't have business mm -hmm. experience at all like not real business experience it was like more salesy type of experience mm -hmm. and um i ended up the first four years i was in business i it was a massive failure like i didn't make any money not not that i didn't just make money i lost money every single year for four years the only reason i stayed in business is because i'm really really stubborn <laughs> and i learned how to manipulate credit cards what oh. i mean but yeah it was crazy it was crazy oh, 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 i know where you're going with so this. um i hit i got to a low point and and again i'm not trying to in any way diminish anyone else's low point i think everyone has their own version of what their rock bottom is mm. i hit my rock bottom four years in at the lowest point i had 17 credit cards seven personal loans and a handful of personal loans from family and friends wow all of which were overdue more than 60 days and what was I, your monthly run on that oh my god it was bad like i got to a point where i was flipping cards from like 15 to twenty thousand at a time to zero interest rate because i'd open up a zero interest rate card and at the time, this this is not the same as it is now, but at the time, I could open up three cards with one credit pull. Whoa. So I, I was opening three credit cards that all had zero interest rates, and then I would flip, and then I'd flip to the next one, flip to the next one. Um, and it got to a point where my total uh, outstanding was a little over $350,000 of debt um, because I was using that to fund everything. I was taking cash advances so I can pay people who I should never have employed in the first place sure. to to act as if like to pay for my car, like to do the stuff that that I thought made me the business owner. And um, I got to the point where one morning it was a Tuesday morning. I, mm. I can remember it as if it was yesterday. They they knocked on my door. It was a little after 6 a.m. because I was getting up at 6 to go to work. It was a little after 6 a.m. and I opened my my apartment door and there were two guys standing at my door and one of them had a clipboard. And they were there to take my car because I had not paid for it in forever, like many, many months. I hadn't made a payment. And uh, like I can remember handing them my key. I can remember signing the clipboard. I can remember them putting my car on the flatbed wow. and driving away. Was it a nice car? It was, it was it, well, for me at the time, it was like super nice. It was a Toyota Camry. Wow. And um, like that was that was my way of getting to work, and they just took it, like, Oof. and I didn't have any friends at that point because I owed all my friends money, so like I could <laughs> call someone, oh, yeah, no. I can't call someone and say, hey, can you drive oh, me to work? No. Um, and I can remember I closed the door, I walked um through my little kitchenette thing. Calling kitchen was way too generous. It was like barely a kitchenette. Um, I have this little. Uh, round table it was too small for two people to sit at barely big enough for one person to sit at and on top of it so i'm walking past it on top of it it's covered in envelopes most of them unopened because i know what's inside they're past due notices i went into the little bathroom area i walked up to myself in the mirror and i looked at myself and i i said edward what are you doing like everything i was doing was wrong like every decision I had made in business was just the wrong decision. Um, and a lot of that stemmed because I was, despite everything I'm sharing now, at the time, I was super arrogant. Like I believed I knew it. Like I believed I could do it because in school, I did exceptionally well without ever trying. 
Like I, I academically, I was super proficient and I didn't even have to really put any effort in at all. And that like bled over into everything else in my, my, my lens at that point, my mindset at that point, I just believed I knew it all and I could do it no matter what. So I didn't listen to anyone else. Like I just believe, oh, this is the better way to do it. So I'm going to do it my way. And I looked at myself in the mirror and in that moment for me, that was my low moment, my, my rock bottom. I, the sort of like a, a switch flipped in my head because I could like as as if in that moment I was able to take my ego and just leave it in the bathroom because when I left I was completely open to listening to other people like and I it's so I can't describe it it was like literally I was a different person when I left the bathroom because I'm like it now really, really clicked for you at that it moment. just clicked like, in that there was moment. no tangible consequences There's, and exactly then suddenly do you think if you had had moderate success early on and not had that rock bottom experience, you'd be able to achieve the same level I would, of success. I do not believe I would be where I am today for me if I didn't have my moment because I was so arrogant. If I had a little bit of success, it would have just fed the arrogance. Got I'd be it. like, oh yeah, I know it. I know how to do it. And maybe I would have done okay. I would not be where I'm like- Give, give us like yeah. a minute on that because yeah. I just went through an experience that that really- that person you were describing really resonates with the situation I was in. And it's just so interesting. I find myself, you know, ever since day one in this kind of position of looking to people that are older than me for advice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I won't go into the, the situation in detail, but it was just, it's just such a, there's such a difference between the type of person that really has this undue belief in themselves yeah. when all the details and all the facts are stacked against them. Yeah. And the person that's like comes from a much more humble position asking the question of like, okay, what do I really need to do to be successful? What does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis instead of painting a picture of success? Yeah. I think it's it's hard to see the color of your eyes without a mirror, right? Yeah, I like that. So at the end of the day, when you're looking at life and you don't have something that reflects back at you with regard to who you are and what you're like doing. Consequences. Consequent, or... Whether it's a consequence, whether it's a trusted ally, a trusted friend, a mentor, some mm. coach, someone who can actually say, you're, you're, again, I'm not a golfer, but your golf swing sucks, right? Like if you, if, if there, no one is there to coach you in any way or show you or where you could see it, like you would have a, an opinion that you just have, right? It's your opinion mm -hmm. based on no other facts. And I think that for me, the reflection I was getting at a young age was, oh, I'm super smart. I know, I know a lot. Why? Because my grades were the thing I was using as the metric to value who I was as a person, right? Like mm -hmm. I did really well and I didn't have to try. That meant I was a genius, right? And again, totally arrogant at that point in my life. And it it wasn't until, again, they took my car and now I had no way of like being the fake Edward. Like, the, like I, you, you can't fake like there it. Was, uh because your ego was tied to being the guy that had the answers and who did really well in school yeah. did you feel a, a pressure to like always have that appearance do you think that led yeah into i think or, i think oh. that definitely fed into it right the whole acting as if mm -hmm. um uh, portion which is why i was spending the money the way i was spending money um that's definitely fed into it um i could say that when you look at at trying to um Trying to really understand who you are as a person is very difficult to do unless you've been trained to do it, meaning like have real introspection, like self-reflect, all that sort of stuff. 
or you have someone who's willing to show you who you are, like hold the mirror up to you. Mm -hmm. And whether that's through conversation or through actual interaction with you, like whatever it may be, um, I think it's really difficult to see without that mirror. And again, I'm using mirror metaphorically, obviously, but at the end of the day, you need something to reflect back so that you have an understanding of who you really are and where you really are in that that stage. There are a lot of people now on social media who are acting as if, and they have no other mirror, so they're going to continue doing what they're doing. And maybe maybe you'll be okay, right? Mm -hmm. Like, as, as we were talking about, like if I had some modicum of success early on, I probably would be okay. I probably would have hit at least reasonable compensation levels in life because I had relatively good sales skills at that moment in my mm -hmm. life. Um, so I probably would have done okay financially. That does not mean I would have been financially free. It doesn't mean we, I'd be able to enjoy the type of life I enjoy now with my family. Um, there are so many things that I've been able to experience because I did go through that evolution for me. I don't think everyone needs to go through like a rock bottom moment, mm -hmm. but I do think you need to get to a point where you understand what your strengths and weaknesses are, uh, truly understand them, and then employ. Because when I left that bathroom that day, that was my first um, opportunity mentally to be able to go out and say, let me find mentors. Let me find people who are at a place that I want to be. Like I'm way, way down here and I want to find someone who's at a place I want to be and either um, appeal to them to maybe give me direct guidance or learn vicariously through them. Just like watch what they're doing and try to model it as much as I could. And that's what I started doing. I started doing that both to business owners that I had uh, been able to, to, to get in contact with. I started going to um, here's a here's a hack uh, when you have no money and you want to learn from other people who have money. Um, I started going to business conferences, but I didn't have money to, to for the tickets, so I just find out what hotel they were being held in, just and I would go in. hang into the bar at the bar. Oh, great! <laughs> because everyone goes to the bar after oh, yeah. the sessions. So, and then I would just start conversations. Oh, what did you think of the last speaker? And they would tell me what the guy just talked about. <laughs> I'm like, oh, cool. And I was like, network. I had no money. I couldn't afford the, these tickets to go. Did down. you make your own like name tag? No, I didn't. So, <laughs> so I, I actually great. thought about doing that. I'm like, nah. I just I would just hang out at the bar and, and I would I, I I had like nice clothes, generally nice clothes I could wear, um, and it made it look like I was supposed to be like an attendee. Um, and I would just strike up conversations and start to meet people and start to network. And I would ask what they were doing. And they would, if they were at a place that I wanted to learn from, mm -hmm. I would start asking them questions about their business. And I, I, I got, I got a number of mentors who were kind enough to to share with me. And I started implementing because I had left my ego. I just implemented without act, like like pondering. Right. I, I just. They told me to do something. I literally just did it. I didn't think about it. I didn't ask questions. I just did what they told me. And it was remarkable because by the end of the next year, so this is four years in, I did this now for a year. By the end of the year, that was the first year I had broken even in business. I didn't make money. So don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but I didn't lose money, which was the first time that it happened for me. So, and by the end of the second year, I had paid off all my debt. Whoa, and I had cash, excess, excess cash flow. So it was two years after I made this transition that I totally changed my entire life around. So you were, you know, you went to a model of just implementing what just implementing better people or people who are better at what you were doing were, yeah. were doing. One of my mentors now calls it uh, he, the way he phrases it. I listen to all billionaires with helicopters and stage presence. <laughs> right. So you model what you want. Right. And sure. if you if they're somewhere that you want to be, 
there's a reason for it. And if it exists, meaning if someone has attained something, you can reverse engineer it. Right. And so that's what were, I firmly believe. So you weren't necessarily thinking about what you're actually implementing at the time, but at now time. In, in retrospect, what did that playbook look like to go from 350K or whatever it was in debt to in a pretty short period, 24 months, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. Like what, what we, how many jobs were you doing <laughs> yeah. at that time? So no, it was still, I was still running my main business at that point, which did is a financial planning everybody? press. I did. Okay. I, lay, I laid off, um, at the point, at that point, right before I started laying people off, I think I had eight people on payroll. Um, I laid everyone off and it went back just, just me. And then for, for that first year, so it was just me. So I, I was doing everything back in my business again. Um, which was good because now I was looking at those things that I was doing from a totally different mindset. Like, why is this operationally efficient? Is this something that should happen in business? And that's when I started learning the concepts of, um, the, the, the concept of expense in business, in my opinion, you should only have two main categories of expenses. Don't get me wrong. There's lots of different categories, but to two main ones, okay. it is either something you're spending money either to generate revenue or to support revenue generation. If you're not spending money for one of those two main categories, if something you're spending money on doesn't fit into one of those two categories, well, then you have to question why are you spending money? It's business, it's not a charity. So if mm -hmm. it doesn't do one of those two things. So can you give examples of, of those two things? Yeah, an so example of something that is not those two things? Like um, a sales team, right? Yeah. Sales team, re revenue generation. I'll spend money on revenue generation. Um, HR supports revenue generation because it supports the ability to have a sales team to make sure that they're getting paid and payroll processing. So those types of things. But in business, it's not necessary to necessarily have cable TV in your office, right? Does that support revenue generation? Probably not. Yeah. Salespeople should be on the phone or, or an email doing whatever it may be. Um, so things like that, like I got rid of all of those expenses. Like I had like subscriptions to different like newspapers that would come in that I wasn't even reading at the time. Like they, they would just come in. I was they, like, Death by all a thousand that. paper cuts. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I got rid of all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, then I started refocusing on what I was doing for clients and how I was teaching clients and just honed my skills to help them get to a more advanced level. And by adding more value, I was able to change my pricing method as well because I was pricing. So I, I, I'm sure you guys have heard of the cost price value uh, schematic, which basically talks about in, in business, you have two main things and then a third thing you have no control over. Cost and, and price are two things you have some influence on. Mm -hmm. um, value, sure. you have none. Right. So value is in the perception of the person who's who's trading their dollars for whatever it is you're mm -hmm. doing, whether service or product um, cost. Um, a lot of people don't understand that. And I, at the time, I didn't understand it either. So I was selling financial planning back then. So I was charging in the beginning when I was having problems, I was charging two hundred dollars an hour. And on average, it would take me about 10 hours to make a financial plan. So that's how I was charging. Um, and the challenge with that is. I didn't build a cost structure around my price, which means mm. um, cost, the definition of cost is essentially all the inputs, all the input variables incurred in order to bring a product or good mm -hmm. to marketplace. Mm. Um, so if you're selling like cake, for instance, it's all the ingredients in the cake. It's all, it's the, like the, the display cabinet, it's like everything. I wasn't factoring anything. I was just factoring in my time. So I was $200 because I saw other people doing that at the time. I was like, uh, there was no analysis. Okay, that's what I'll charge. 
But the problem is that's not all your costs, right? So you have to factor in things like, well, you have also have rent if you have a commercial space or office space. You have to factor in insurance. You have to mm -hmm. factor in the electric bill. You have to factor in, like all of those things are actually cost. Most people just ignore that and they price based on what they're doing. But that's not how you really put together a price right. because you have to first understand costs. What are all the costs that go into a thing to bring it to, to market, whether that's a good or a service? Mm -hmm. What is it? What are those costs? And once you understand that, price is then cost plus profit, which I didn't understand that when I was mm -hmm. younger. I didn't get it. But profit should be a component. It should be planned. So when you're setting a price, you're setting it with profit in mind. And the concept of profit that swings based on where risk lies, right? So if if the risk is situated with the buyer, your profit is lower because mm -hmm. they're the one taking the risk. If your risk is situated with you, your profit should be higher because you're the one taking risks. Right. So in the example, like when I was getting started, I was charging $200 an hour. So in that price environment, where does the risk lie? Sorry, uh, if I'm well, charging a client $200 an hour to develop a financial plan, who who bears most of the risk? Probably the client. Why? Because oh, they don't know if you're going to perform or what kind of service. You, you could spend 10 hours and charge them two Gs and give them a, a Homer Simpson pie chart. I could, I could also spend <laughs> 70 hours doing it. Right? Sure. So that the risk is on them entirely. Right. Like they, if it's a per hour model, the yeah. risk is to their them. Yeah. Therefore, the price of or the impact to profit means profit tends to go down because they're the ones taking the risk. So you're not really taking much, much risk. So your profit scheme goes down. So when you're developing your pricing model, if the risk is situated with the client, your profit's going to be a little lower, which means now you have to be volume based. If, however, I said to the client, I'm going to I'm going to charge you two thousand dollars for a financial plan, no matter how long it takes me. Now, who bears the risk? Yeah, yeah. I do. You have Therefore, the profit is I get to be the person who designs the profit. So maybe I say to the client, I'm going to charge you seventy five hundred dollars for a financial plan. I'm now building in more profit because I'm the one taking risk. It could take me 10 hours. It could take me 20 hours. Mm -hmm. The client could send me information that's so complex that it just takes me a longer time to, to understand it, et cetera. So when you're developing your pricing, you have to understand where risk is as well. And I didn't mm -hmm. understand any of this stuff before mentors started teaching me it. But once I started learning that, I was able to change my pricing dynamic um, and then I was able to then level up my skill sets so that the the perception of value on the mind mm. in the minds of those I was serving was elevated because now I knew so much more and I was able to teach them more and and help them more and do more. Um, so that's what dramatically changed it for me. Was it a particularly price sensitive uh, business model on the client facing side for you? Um, well, in the beginning, since I didn't understand it, yeah, yes. Okay. Um, but once you once you demonstrate that you know what you're talking about, and again. Like most people struggle with telling people price because they don't understand value. They don't understand what the value is of that they're doing. Now, don't get me wrong. You don't control value mm -hmm. because that's in the mind yeah, of someone else. It's, a it's, subjective. It's, it's subjective for them. But you do have a general understanding of what value is, right? So like as an example, if, if someone has, God forbid, has cancer and you literally have the cure for cancer, are you in any way going to be ashamed to tell them you have the cure? No, right? Because what you have is extremely valuable. 
So there was this uh, post the other day. I, I don't know who did it, so I, I can't give proper attribution. But um, there was a post the other day with this guy who had this uh, bag. And inside of the bag, he had one ounce uh, um, uh, little bars of gold, literally one ounce gold, gold bars. So he knew that every piece of gold in this bag was valuable. And he was literally just going out on the street and he was handing it to people as if they were take it. And oh, so many I people were like- this is actually Goob's friend. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he does it all the time. Yeah, and so many people were like, no, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But, but think about this. <laughs> this guy did not care if you took it or didn't take it. Why? Because he knew what he was giving away was valuable. Mm-hmm. It's on you. If you don't want to take it, that's you. And he was smiling the whole time. And he can move to the next person. Was he in New York? I don't remember where it was. It was online. It was I didn't, I didn't see it live. I saw, oh, I saw the post of it. If it was in New York, do you imagine? Most people would say no. Yeah, right. They'd probably like, but he knew. This? Okay, you don't want gold, Mary. <laughs> yeah. He knew what he was doing was of value, right? So when you can approach something and you know what you're doing is hugely valuable, there's literally no hesitation from a pricing standpoint. If, you, if you're going to price something at um, a fraction of what the value is, well, then it's, it's a no-brainer. And the the whole um, decision-making process is on the other person. And you don't care about that because at the end of the day, that's on them. No, Nothing you can do is necessarily going to change someone else's mind. Not truly. You can influence things. You can influence decisions, but you can't necessarily change someone's mind. If they believe oh, that's hmm. not valuable, that's eh, on them. But it, does, it shouldn't bother you because you know it's valuable. So just move on to the next person because it's it, marry yourself to the process, not to the outcome. So let's uh... – Let's touch on something else in the, sure. the business journey. Like, it, it, let's say you have an established business. You've been in business yep. a couple of years, and you're trying to optimize the way you run things. You're trying to approach it with a different mindset or a healthier mindset. Mm-hmm. Let's speak to that sure. that operator. Let's call them at this point, right? So, okay. in terms of like personal stability, uh, in terms of them running the business, like what are the critical skills you think that are not so much, you know, out there in the public zeitgeist? What, what do you think is the most important way to approach your day-to-day as an operator? Let's say you're talking to him and I. We're, we're looking at running our businesses day-to-day. We have totally different businesses, but from a principal's perspective, what do you tell that person? First principles, know your numbers. Like yeah. all of your numbers, from financials to what your conversion rates are for your clientele, sure. understanding what your your attrition rate is per client, what went into those factors. Like, are you polling the people who won't, don't come back to the gym? Like. If they haven't been here for three weeks, what, what's your what's your first question to them? Why aren't you here, or where are you getting value? Like, are you getting are you getting what mm-hmm. you used to get mm-hmm. here from somewhere else? Like, sure. like understanding all of that stuff. You like I I interact with lots of business owners every single year, like tons. The vast majority before we start working together have no idea what their numbers are. It's it's usually um, the for instance profit is usually an afterthought. Hopefully, they get to the end of the year and, and have some profit. They're never mm-hmm. building profit into their plan ahead of time. Interesting. Um, but that when I have my mentees, all profit is planned. Because if you're not planning profit, like, what are you doing? It's, mm-hmm. This is business. Like, a lot of people look on Instagram and TikTok and they, they see these supposed business owners and they're all flashy and they're mm-hmm. living, living a lifestyle. And they're like, oh, wow, I would love that. But you don't see like all the hard work that goes into a real business. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Are there some people who have like really struck it amazing? Like I was talking with um, my director of implementation the other day. Uh, I think it may have been yesterday. And um, he was he was saying 
he was using the example of of I don't know the guy's name again. I'm I'm horrible with names, so I apologize. If you're <laughs> no watching this, I apologize. Um, but he got really famous by just like being on Instagram. He doesn't say a thing, and he just does cabbie like this. Oh, right? that's great. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. just he he's does like an African immigrant right. to Italy, like an Italian yeah, yeah, yeah. now. Yeah. But amazing. amazing. Right? Yeah. That is not everyone. Like yeah. he hit it. Like he hit something off amazingly well. He's hilarious. You done, should follow him. He's, he does super success, so right? <laughs> but that's not everyone, and no. not everyone can can have Probably that happen not to them. Anyone exactly? That that was him. He yeah. he was able to do it. But yeah. we witnessed these things, and so many business owners, or supposed business owners, or entrepreneur wannabes, um, they believe that oh, I can do that. But no, there's actually you have to actually do something. You have mm -hmm. to add value. All money flows from value creation. Like you have to actually go out into the marketplace, create value. If you do that, money follows. Money mm -hmm. is a byproduct of value. So if you create value for someone, mm -hmm. but it takes something to create value, right? You have to do something. I don't, whether you, you are the physical person doing it or you're sure. hiring people to do it or you have software that's doing it, whatever it is, there has to be value creation. And so many, like you don't see any of that on, on social. Why? Because it doesn't fit into a 60 second sound clip, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like when, when you think about real business, who's turning the lights on? Who's paying the electric bill? Where's the garbage being put like at the end of the day? Like those are like real business things. Like what happens if you have an employee that does something wrong? Right. Yeah. Like what happens if you hurt someone in your business or with your business? What happens? Like there are real ramifications to that. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't have the right business structures in place, you're not operating correctly. You don't have the right type of insurances. Like all of those things can dramatically change your life. Not just your life, your family's life. Mm -hmm. Right. And none of that stuff gets talked about on, on socials because one, it's not always pretty. And right. everyone Not wants sexy. to, yeah, everyone yeah. wants that, that, that like really beautiful filter um, on like, I don't even know how to use the filters on Instagram, but I'm sure that, <laughs> sure they're pretty cool. You can um, do a whole bunch of weird stuff. Yeah. But I mean that like you sit back and you're like, that's what people believe business is. And that's not really business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So go down that, that rabbit hole for another sure. couple, couple minutes of thought here what's the word of caution to young people who see the instagram version of what they think business is and you yeah. see all these people talking about here's my way of generating ten thousand dollars a month of passive income i'm like bro if you know of a way to generate ten thousand dollars a month in passive income then please tell the rest of the world because your only friend on <laughs> earth right now is like jeff bezos right. who's just hanging out on a yacht drinking all day like nobody yeah i don't know if there's any real passive income so at all, except for like dividends from a so again i'm a tax i'm a lawyer to specialize in tax so their passive income is just a quality of income it does not necessarily mean you do nothing to get right they're it, making right? it seem like you do not do not yeah even even like the classic example of passive income is real estate right if you own real estate, you're not, not doing nothing. That's like not you're passive. doing, you're doing a lot not of something, chance. right? Yeah. Right. So, oh, yeah. and depending on what um, what area in the spectrum of real estate you're involved, there's different levels of activity that are going to require your time, tension, and focus, right? Like if you're like as an example, if you're wholesaling, totally different type of. There's a lot of activity that happens in wholesaling because oh, there's a yeah. ton of like legwork you have to do, super, a lot of research, super labor intensive, tax liens, like super research. Um, subject to gator funding. I mean, all of the different stuff, all the way up to buy and hold and short-term rentals and yeah. all the fix and flips, all of those things requires energy. Maybe it's not you doing 100% of it because maybe you do have people mm -hmm. that you can hire and subcontract out to and things like that. You have to have a management infrastructure. But if you're not paying attention to your business, which is time, which mm -hmm. means it's not truly passive, if you're not paying attention to your business, like, do you really have a business? 
No, you're a guy who wants to have a Ferrari and post yeah. a reel on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, those are the things that you see online, though. You see tons of people. But don't who you jump think that's, on. that's scary for the? Like, it's not scary, you know, like it's, a real sense, but it is. It's definitely kind of bastardizing the view of the real view of owning a business. Well, I th- I think that sending the wrong message. Every every generation goes through cultural changes with regard to the information they're exposed to. Right. So I grew up pre-internet like like i was i was an adult before google right (laughs) so that's a big deal for a lot of people um but my version of exposure was like tv shows like of what wealth was was and that was a a lot of that's fiction and and not not a lot almost all of that is fiction and lies now i mean you still have that today but the television of today is like the internet it's youtube and Mm -hmm. it's like now youtube is a little better than like tiktok and instagram because it's one it's longer form people are putting a little bit more content in there and things of that nature but like the instagram lifestyle that people portray i've i i just i struggle with it because i do i do believe it creates challenge like one of the things um another um major guy obviously in social is gary v gary Gary vaynerchuk he has the the phrase he constantly comes back to is be patient be patient and if anyone comes to me and says hey listen what what, i need to go no be patient like learn what it's going to take yeah. Then do the reps, right? You guys know, like, do the reps, right? Mm-hmm. You can't. You, you, you're like I. Talking, you're talking to the guys that are like done doing reps, at right? This but, point. But, but, <laughs> but, but you, you've done the reps. Uh, it's it's very clear. More than enough. Yeah. So if I, if I were to go into a gym, and like you're to your gym, I come into your gym, and I work out pretty heavy, like, like I, let's say I go all in, like mm-hmm. really all in today, like after this session, I go all in. I'm not going to be ripped. Right. Right. Not yeah. today. Not after today. Nah. Like even if I do it for the next 30 days, I'm not going to be ripped. Nah. Even the mm. next 90 days, probably not ripped. Maybe I'll tone at that point. I'm, I'm losing some excess body fat at that point, but I'm not I'm not Instagram. Right. I'm yeah. not I'm not that. Right. I have to do it over and over yeah, again, regardless. Years. It's such a good of how I feel. It really is the business, don't you think? That's literally what business is. You yeah. have to do the reps, and you have to do the reps regardless of whether you see the impact of the rep, right? Yeah. And you have to do it whether you feel like doing it or not. Like you have to wake up at whatever time it is you're waking up to go to the gym. You have to do that because yeah. if you don't do that. Well, you're not going to get the benefit of the cumulative effect because that's what exercise is. It's the Mm. cumulative effect. Exercise, eating right, all those things combined cumulatively over longer periods of time make you look more fit, right? If that's Mm. your goal. Make you actually healthier if that's your goal. Business is the same thing. You can't go into business day one and become a billionaire, right? Maybe if you come up with this amazing strategy, even if – even if you're like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, like they can't created something that eventually made them billionaire. Yeah, but that didn't happen overnight. It happened right. over a very long and period of time. How many of those guys are there? Few and far between. 200 ever? And But that's the same you know? thing with anything that so many people put other people on a pedestal. Like I don't want anyone ever to put me on a pedestal because I've, I'm a very flawed person. I made many mistakes at the end of the day. But the reality is we we as a society tend to do that a lot, right? We we yeah. look up to the the yeah. major sports yeah. stars, right? The like, Elon Musks yeah. and the Bezos what, and, and think that they're that, like some god on exactly. earth. Exactly. And, and the reality is we're seeing them once they've hit a milestone. Mm-hmm. How many people followed Elon Musk 
before he really had, got involved. Before he had his hair back. Exactly. <laughs> Same thing with Jeff Bezos. I mean, Jeff yeah, Bezos yeah. built a, an amazing empire, but the first few years in business, like no one paid attention to his, his investor letter. Now, mm-hmm. his investor letter, everyone should go read that. I mean, that's an amazing letter. It happens every year. You definitely should read it. It should be part of a curriculum for any business entrepreneur. Um, because you, what he did in his letters is he literally telegraphed literally what he was doing what he was building, like future casting. So you can read his early letters and see, yeah, he actually said he was gonna do it years before it actually happened. And you could see the evolution of the company. But no one followed him back then, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe he had some fanatics, but he like- He wasn't like a pop culture exactly. icon. Yeah. And we, we give all of this emphasis on the people and we believe that because they are now at where they are, we can get to that level quickly because mm-hmm. we didn't see the struggle that it took to get them there. Mm-hmm. Because that wasn't published online. It so wasn't what, published. what do you think then, having been through the ups and downs, been mm-hmm. through low points and high points, like, what do you think that people should be comfortable experiencing on that journey? Like what are what are the low points that you think that you know, nobody's going to talk about it on social yeah. media, but here's something that might happen to you. So I'd say this, if you want to be an entrepreneur, first and foremost, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. What I mean by that is there are so many things that entrepreneurs, especially in the beginning of their career, have to contend with that most people don't talk about, like depression. Yeah. Not having not having someone to talk about mm-hmm. everything that's going on in your life. Yeah. Why? Because as a society, we also don't talk about money with each other, right? Yeah. We just don't talk about that. It's very taboo. Yeah. It's like you will talk about sex, with drugs, and cultures, rock and roll. I don't know. My yeah. people. Maybe yeah. not so much. Maybe, but, but, but again, most most people don't. Like, yeah, yeah. so so you're you're obviously that that that's actually a very interesting point because I do have this. There there is something to be said for that because it was you know I, I'm Jewish, right? I'm yeah, very yeah, open yeah. about yeah. it, right? And it's it's just not so taboo in that no. world. It's a cultural thing. We just it's but, just but usually that accepted. happens more in a, a family dynamic, though, right? Yeah, to what yeah. extent? Like, are your family just like sharing their tax returns? At no, but it's like if you talk about it, it's spoken about. If yeah. you talk about, like, you know, like a lot of people in my family made their money by investing in real estate and. Mm-hmm. And you, you just know, talk like, about it openly. I, when I'm growing up, I'm like asking mm-hmm. them, I was like, how the hell did you do this? And what happened to you back in 08? Because mm-hmm. like my, where I came from, my parents got completely wiped out between yeah. 08 and 2010. I mean, they were like yeah. big figure millionaire net worth people and they got yeah. rocked. Yeah. So I grew up with a very different perspective on like, okay, a lot of my extended family is very wealthy, but mm-hmm. I have to figure this out for myself now. Right. And it was not, I, I mean, seriously, the, the truth is I was not, financially literate with my own business mm-hmm. up until the last 60 days until I was forced to be. Yeah. I, I thought I had somebody that was doing that for me. And you know, the greatest thing my new partner has told me, he's like a, he's, a, he's been a mentor to me for the last probably five, six years in this business mm-hmm. that I'm in. It's like emphasis 100% on understanding the economics of your business yep. and the finances. Cause I, you know what, since I grew up in that period where my parents lost a lot of what they had, mm-hmm. I was just afraid. I was yep. afraid to confront it. And I was always very careful. And I saved a ton of money. Yep. And, you know, we bought our first house three and a half years ago. And we can travel and all the, like all these things I do right. And then there was this one like hole in my game. It was like, imagine if I was one, I was one of the world's greatest powerlifters in my weight class for a period. But I was like, imagine if I did that, but I sucked at bench pressing. Right. Right. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Fuck, I'd be useless. Uh-huh. So. I guess I'm always trying to ask people, especially guests of ours, and 
where where do people go wrong these days and why is it like why is there so much emphasis given to some people's lifestyle on instagram that make it look a certain way and how do we combat that with like good information for them well one of the things i'm trying to do is do that just that like i go out and i just talk about financial literacy i'm sure for both of us it's uh it's refreshing to see somebody spreading some truth out there I, i try i mean obviously yeah when you're online you also have to contend with a lot of hate too right like mm-hmm. so which i was not well one i, I deal with it okay because i'm i also tend to be a stoic not tend to be like that's my general philosophy in life like i don't really put a lot of emphasis on things that are outside of my control i try to focus as much attention and, and energy as i can on the things that are in my control um but you get a lot of hate online like i try to i post commentary and then they're they'll point to something that could have been said in a portion of the video that wasn't in the video that yeah, i was posting yeah. or they give you the and least like, charitable yeah you know yeah, yeah, version yeah. of what could have been said yeah so i think in the grand scheme of things i i taught i correct me if i'm wrong you guys have been looking at some of my content i try to be as tactful as i possibly can i try not to in any way be insulting mm-hmm. i i because i i i've made tons of mistakes in life so I'm not interested in calling someone out for a mistake. What I am interested in doing is if there's something that's inaccurate, I want those who are watching it to be able to say, okay, let's elevate our financial literacy. This is what is being said, not exactly accurate. This would make it more accurate. Now, is it possible to get even more accurate than what I share? Yes, I'm sharing it in 60 seconds, right? Yeah, yeah. and to, you're doing an honest reaction, right? Exactly, and literally there's no scripting at all. Like, yeah, my, like just, Hector, Hector's in the room, like, like, he's literally yeah, filming yeah. it. There's no script at all, guys. Um, well, and when it comes down to it, like if you if you look at where we are as a society, a lot of people get this, um, this sense of meaning over their, themselves by becoming a fan of someone else the whole concept of fan, fan, being a fanatic mm-hmm. on something so so many people identify with like sports teams as an example like you'll sit on your couch watching a sporting event and you'll get all like energized and like you you actually feel in your body what's happening on television yeah, right right like think about that for a moment yeah, it's weird like you it is weird literally it have no nothing to gain or lose from what happens on the television but mm-hmm. you're investing your time your attention mm-hmm. and your physical person I think the entire in that experience. Continent of Europe might have a problem with what you just said, but no, I totally get why they do it. I totally get why they do it, but yeah. just think about what you're doing. Oh yeah. Oh, it, and I mean, if you take a crazy. step back and look at it, like one of the things that I find like the simplest but most bizarre thing is if you remove people from sports, like yes. a fan, in what other context would you? put on a piece of clothing with another man's last name on yes. the back yes. and just like and cheer him there. on like you're his girlfriend or something. Right. It, it, yeah. it's, it's strange outside of the cultural very yeah. strange. And, and I think what's happening a lot these days is young entrepreneurs are doing the exact same thing with these business owners who have hit certain milestones maybe, or at least they're presenting as if they have based on what they're showing mm-hmm. on Instagram. And you're getting a whole new fan base. Now we're just fanatic over this versus that. And the challenge with that is it can lead you in the wrong direction because someone's journey, his journey or her journey to get to a certain level 
they went through certain things that maybe you don't have to go through to get to this, a similar level, or maybe you do have to get through or them and then even more. Your own definition. Exactly. Like I see in the real estate space, especially because he's interrupted so many of my nice dates with my wife <laughs> as uh, Grant Cardone <laughs> yeah. flies his fucking helicopter down the yep. beach. Yep. Like every once in a while, my wife and I go on a Sunday morning to this uh, this hotel, surf club. Yep. And like, it's crazy expensive, but we'll just go sit and have a coffee. We'll bring yeah. the dog. It's super nice. And so many times we've been there and this fucking guy flies this obnoxious. He doesn't have a normal helicopter, by the way. <laughs> no, he no, has it's loud. the biggest yeah. fucking helicopter you can buy as a normal dude that like, I'm sure also the the uh, Amir of Qatar has or the fucking the president of the UAE has. Like yeah. They have that helicopter. And somehow this guy has interrupted so many nice dates with my wife. Flying his dad. I'm <laughs> sitting there and I'm like, Flies it down, and he's like, oh, God, what a dick. All right, I hope he doesn't give zoom. Yep. Come back up. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? And yeah. He's probably shooting an Instagram video in there. Of course, yeah. but I keep seeing <laughs> yeah, it. And I think about his Instagram content. I'm like, yeah. my whole family has done this. Everybody I grew up doing, it's it's like my trade, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know I kind of work in a different part of it on a day-to-day right. basis, but I understand the real estate business better than anything. It's like what your what that guy's selling people really bothers me. Well, he's not selling real estate. Obviously, he's selling his, no, his fund. I mean, yeah, uh, Cardone Capital. That. Yeah, Cardone Capital is a, a it's essentially syndication. Yeah, um, you're you're to unaccredited you're, investors. Yes, exactly. That's scary. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people again, buyer beware in everything. Caveat emptor. Like if you don't understand something, you should probably not be involved in it. Yes. Um, and if you cannot read a document and understand everything that's in that document, you should not be doing what that document says you should like, don't get involved. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the the material that's available, and this is not just for Grant, but this is the concept of syndication in general. Sure. You're in theory taking your money and you're giving it to someone else to invest on your behalf in a particular category. In this case, we're talking about real estate. Mm-hmm. And for that investment, there is some sort of return assumption that's being, and being a risk shared. assumption, right? And risk assumption, mm-hmm. right? And that's the key point. Like a lot of people will get, will hear what people like Grant say online, and it sounds amazing, right? Like yeah. who wouldn't want to get making, billions of dollars for making double digit yeah. IRRs? Yeah. It's like, well, it's 10x immediately. Yeah, yeah. it's easy. It's easy to. <laughs> portray that type of return when you're getting return of capital, right? If you're, It's not all income. It's some of your original investments coming back to you, which is why you're not getting taxed the same way. Like the, the whole tax structure around syndication is something that is foreign to most people because they believe if I get a check in the mail, oh, I just made that, that's income. Well, no, like a lot of syndications will return part of your principal, if not a lot of your principal with those initial payments. So you're not really getting a return. You're just getting your own money back. And like there's, Lots of different fees that are mm. built into those systems. Like, did and you structures? know that most of the properties that that guy owns, he has bought himself and sold at a profit to his fund. Oh, so yeah. he's made over a hundred million dollars just t- buying. Like, imagine yeah. you bought a house, and then you're like, "I'm going to create this fictional Bow Capital LLC, which you can invest in." Yep. You put your money into that. He personally sells those assets into the fund mm-hmm. for a profit. So yeah. he made a profit. And gotten his original principal back. And he gets paid on the front end and the back end of the deal. Because, again, it's, it's just based crazy, on how it's structured. Crazy numbers. It's the, so what he's essentially done is what Wall Street has done for, like, forever, right? He's figured out how to make money from other people's money, which is essentially what what's happening in that environment. I don't necessarily agree with it. Now, this is coming from someone who 
owns a private wealth management firm, right? Like I, I'm in the financial services industry as well. So it's kind of odd to hear someone like myself say, you got to be really well, careful when it comes to investing. Like, I mean, you wouldn't agree with Bernie Madoff either. No, yeah, again, so at the time. yeah, there's, there's lots of, lots of things that happen in finance yeah. in general that a lot of people just should not be involved in one because of the complexity mm -hmm. two because like you just you don't understand enough about financial literacy to even be involved in some of the things and there's not a lot of regulation don't get me wrong there is regulation but there's not a lot of regulation with regard to unaccredited investors getting involved in certain types of deals yeah and when you when you open up the playing field to people who literally can barely afford to send a hundred dollars a month and that's what they're doing to get into this fund. I, I have problems with that. And whether it's Grant's fund or uh, someone else's fund, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't care who the person is. Yeah, not to pick on the guy. He's just yeah. such a local example. It's yeah, hard not he's to. local for this area, definitely. And I think that um, Grant's, Grant's key to his own success has been that he's recognized that he can he can take advantage of other people's money, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I no, mean, no, he's, that's, he's 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 leveraging literally the Wall Street yeah, model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in in business, there's only four categories of leverage, right? There's only four. You can lever labor, which is other people's hands and feet in your business. You can leverage code, which is technology, like implementing some sort of technology mm. system. You can leverage capital, which is one of my favorite, which is other people's money. And then you can leverage audience or community in order to become part of your marketing team to expand your reach, et cetera. But that's it. There's no other form of leverage. And if, if you go through business and you use none of them, you're a solopreneur and you probably will cap out. Like there's, there's going to be a maximum you can earn. Don't get me wrong. Some solopreneurs can earn a lot, but that's it. Like you're not mm -hmm. going to be able to do more than that. Once you start understanding the concept of leverage and deploying it the right way, that's where you start to get multiples. You get this multiple effect where I have a whole routine of how I teach business owners how to do that. Like the first area of leverage is always going to be labor. And the reason for that is you need to build systems and processes. And the best environment to do that is with people. Right. Mm -hmm. So they can test it out. They can feel if it works or doesn't work. Once they've perfected the systems and processes, then you leverage code technology because then you're just trying to enhance what the people are doing. Mm -hmm. Because if the system and process works, then you just you just 10x that, multiply it. And then you start leveraging capital mm -hmm. so that you can get more people, more more technology. And then finally, you incorporate audience because once you've gotten to a certain point where you've proven what you can do, well, then you can tap into audience. It's very hard to tap into audience if you have nothing that you can prove, right? Yeah, like yeah. no one wants to follow someone in the making. At least that maybe that's changed because I I do now see a lot of posts of people who are like documenting their journey now, which yeah, didn't yeah. happen a lot when I was growing up. So maybe you can learn as they're growing, but for the most part, people aren't going to follow you unless yeah. you've demonstrated you've hit a milestone. Yeah. People like the movie about the come up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not yeah. watching the come up they're not in the watching making. Jordan play. At uh, university, at four in the morning, the, exactly yeah, before he got the Nike mm -hmm. deal. Yeah, they make the Nike deal movie twenty years later. Exactly, same yeah. concept. And again, we we live in this society now that has glorified the destination. Oh yeah, and I don't know. I just like I I I, I can understand how this sounds coming from someone who has hit certain milestones. It's not the milestone that matters. Like the yeah. destination does not bring me joy and mm -hmm. fulfillment. Don't get me wrong; it's nice. It's definitely better than not having that. But it was the it has always been for me the journey. It has always been yeah. like the day to day stuff. I enjoy coming in. Like I've been retired essentially for like seven years. I come into the studio now because I like it. 
It's it's mm-hmm. fun for me. So coming into the studio, doing the content, because I know that if we post something that can help educate someone, maybe that changes that person's life. Maybe that that puts them onto a track where now they can start asking questions that get them the results they, they're looking for. Um, I coach business owners because I enjoy doing that. I, I help people with their finances because I enjoy doing it. I don't have to do any of those things anymore. Um, it's But it is that that journey that brings me fulfillment because that's the other thing I'll, I'll mention. I think that a lot of people get too hung up on the word happy. They yeah. want to be happy. Well, like that, Gary V actually talked. I think he's talked about that, but I do think it's a, kind of a ridiculous like happiness is an emotion. Yeah, it's fleeting. We feel it very mm-hmm. infrequently as humans. You know, there's yeah. a whole range of other emotions that fulfillment you know, is so much better. Probably a better word for it. Yeah, I agree. yeah. If if you if you're struggling to get to something, you want to get to a state of fulfillment because it's not happy. It's not sad. It's just mm-hmm. I'm fulfilled. This is this is who I am. This is I'm in my person. I am me. Um, and they tie that so closely to finance, right? And a lot of people do. You see it everywhere. You can be happy or unhappy at any level of income. Yeah, absolutely. Or you know, have a Rolex, not have a Rolex. <laughs> like, trust me, none of those things. And I'm sure yeah. you guys can all agree with me on this because I know you and I have talked about it a ton. Like having a fancy watch and a yeah. fancy car and a big old house and a boat, like that stuff is not going to make you happy. I would say no. it's probably a better predictor of you being a stressed out maniac. What do they say? Uh, 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 the two uh, best times or moments in a boat owner's oh, life is the day he buys his boat and the day he sells oh, the boat. God, I'm yeah. a boat owner, so I definitely <laughs> don't, I get it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that if you focus way too much on this concept of happiness and strive for it, and this is one of the after effects or, or the downsides, the negatives, if you will, of entrepreneurism, mm. when you don't get to that state of happiness, you're almost like forced into the opposite state of sadness. Well, maybe your right? goalpost was yeah. off too. Well, there's an yeah. overarching theme about just being process oriented versus outcome oriented yes. and like everything you've said, right? Mm. And I think um, fulfillment is something that you can experience through the process, not an outcome obviously can make you feel fulfilled. Absolutely. But if that's not the end goal and you're constantly getting this good feeling of fulfillment, I think that mm. leads to more overall happiness, mm-hmm. you know, than being unhappy and working your ass off until you get to this goal. Maybe you celebrate for a little bit because you've reached this goal and then then what? Yeah. It's kind of like the concept of everyone wants to retire and then go have, you know, they have this image of drinking, uh, you know, having a nice drink on the beach and it's like, for how long? Yeah, what, right. what are you like, going to do with yourself? I'd go crazy. Yeah, yeah. You, okay, you've had four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, what are you going to do? You can go yeah. do that today. You're going to do that on Saturday, man. Like, yeah. yeah. But um, one thing I did want to say that I really appreciated about your page and I thought was refreshing was there are people – we see it a ton in fitness. It's kind of become a trend in fitness actually where people will – take terrible ideas presented by somebody else and then knock them down no. uh you know in a way that honestly people who are the most like angry and aggressive sometimes get the most traction yeah what i thought was kind of cool was a lot of the stuff that i looked through of yours was actually people presenting an idea and you confirming that that mm-hmm. is accurate and adding a little more uh yeah, try to add value to when it. i can yeah, yeah so that that is really uh you know kind of unique i don't i don't know if there's yeah. anybody else in your space really we haven't found that. it yet so uh, which is why i think probably why we get some the traction that we do because when someone is producing a really good piece of content that actually can move the needle in a positive direction for someone mm-hmm. i want to highlight that 
So I'll come in and I'll say, yep, this, I, the phrase we use is Edward verified. Like, that's become our mm-hmm. hashtag. Um, so I verify the video. And then when I'm able to, I'll add additional value over and above. Like for instance, if it's, if it's a topic on X, Y, and Z, I'll say, yes, this is correct. And if you want to get even further, you can add this to it. And so I'm, I try to add complementary information or to, again, add more value. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I don't want to knock anyone down because I, I don't know. I just like, I've, I've made tons of mistakes in life. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Like it, you could be right or wrong. And like most people positive yeah. direction. And most people aren't putting out content that's intentionally damaging, right? They probably right. think they're doing something exactly. beneficial. Yeah. Even the, even the ones that are completely wrong. Um, like I, you never hear me saying like, this guy's a horrible person. Like I never, <laughs> I never do that because I don't know the guy. Like most mm-hmm. of the people, like pretty much everyone, I don't know that I, I, I comment on. Um, I'm, I hope that they're nice people in real life. Um, but Anytime I, anytime I'm saying something is inaccurate or I'm verifying the accuracy, I'm never talking about the person. Right. I'm always talking about the concept. What is being shared? Is this accurate information or it is not? Because I literally don't know the human that's behind it. Like they may be an amazing person or they may not be an amazing person, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what is the content that's being mm-hmm. shared that people are consuming. And if it's something that's bad for you, I want to tell you it's bad for you. And mm-hmm. like if you're eating like bad stuff, I'm going to tell you you're eating bad stuff. You're eating good stuff. You're eating good stuff. Um, and it just like, it, I don't know when you when you take that spin, I think the audience can appreciate that it's coming from a genuine place. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I literally don't like wish anyone bad. Like my team knows it. like some some people like have negative opinions. I just don't like I'm a stoic. You holiday on. Yeah, yeah, right. If you've read his book, yeah, The Daily Stoic, I did that yeah, for you. Yeah, he's a he's a, a, a amazing guy. I, my, the first like first book of Stoicism I read was back in university. It was um, Meditations, Marcus mm, Aurelius. Aurelius yeah. Amazing book. If you if you're interested in a great, great don't read, get him started. Definitely read it. He's, you don't like it? No, he's he's. Oh, he, uh, oh okay, <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, philosophy is um, philosophy is core to everything. Yeah, right. I got my minor in it. Yeah, so it's quite everything. Focus on one of my degrees. Marcus Aurelius, mm-hmm. definitely Seneca. I mean, you name it. Like, I'm I'm a yeah. huge fan. I think there's there's something refreshing about having a voice in your life that is honest mm-hmm. with you and willing to take you to task on things and point out where you know you're fucking up. Yeah. Or in business, you know, where you're illiterate or where you have a hole or where you, you know, like have a process that could be improved because, you know, other than that, what are you going to do? Have a bunch of cheerleaders around you exactly. or somebody that wants to paint a rosy picture of the world? Like when it comes to your friends and when it comes to your business as athletes, like I've always, I've had, you know, basically I had the same training partners my entire career, him being one of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a very big point of mind to go to them and say, what do you think about, the, you know, like, cause I was always worried about hitting depth in a squat, right? Cause the right, competition, right, right. the standards you're held to like, was that good or was that shit? And I would always hope that they would be honest with you. Just like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it was good. You gotta go a little bit deeper or whatever, but there was no point in having somebody around you that was like, yeah, you're great. You're going to crush it. Well, I think what you're saying though is core to one of the other challenges that exists for entrepreneurs is that the entrepreneurs like circle is usually pretty small. Mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of us like there's 33 million small businesses in the United States right measured in employees numbers 100 employees or less that sounds like a lot but when you talk about 380 million people 
like 300 like that that's not a lot at all mm-hmm. and even then you're not all together in the same area so most entrepreneurs do not mm-hmm. in the beginning do not have a lot of other business owner friends yeah if you do you are very lucky very fortunate and nurture that like build that up because entrepreneurs see the world a little bit differently and it's hard for us to communicate certain things with people who aren't entrepreneurs like we just don't speak the same language now that doesn't mean business owner i'm not talking about business i'm talking about an entrepreneur sure. someone who actually wants to build it like build it up and yeah. like that's a different type of person right and i absolutely like my mom taught me this when i was young like she 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 had this phrase like um she, she used to call me eddie um eddie if you want to be sick hang out with sick people like that like that's what it like mm-hmm. if you want to be sick hang out with sick people and I'm, like that's true like you get infected by the people you're around and i mean that in a a very generic sense of the word infected like if people have positive mindset and that's all the people you're hanging out with you're gonna have positive mindset it's yeah. gonna infect into you if you're hanging out with people who who are athletic and and interested in physical fitness and you're gonna become physically fit mm-hmm. you hang out with slobs you're gonna become a slob like maybe not to the same degree that the worst person in that group is or maybe you are the worst person in that group. Either way, mm-hmm. it's infectious. And if you hang out with other entrepreneurs, like here's the interesting thing. Like when I was getting started in business, again, I did not have any business people in my network. And I can remember like some of my friends, and again, I was doing some stupid stuff with money back then, <laughs> uh, but I can remember some of my friends like pull, trying to pull me back, like hold me back from making the next step because not not because they hated me, not because they were trying to be, but their whole mentality was not on the level of the next step. Yeah, Their whole mentality was down here, even below where I was. So they wanted to keep me with them because like, then we could continue to be friends, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, loves company, right. sure. So I think that the, the, the interesting point is like, if you're around people who are who have attained significant milestones of success in whatever you're talking about. When if it's in physical fitness, like physique and and capability and technique and all, if they've hit certain milestones of success, those are never the people who are holding you down. They will never make fun mm-hmm. of you for doing whatever. Like maybe they'll make fun of you and joking in order to encourage it. Yeah, yeah, you didn't hit that squat deep enough. Like they'll 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 jive you and like oh no, you want to hear that? You want to hear it? Yeah, but they'll I don't be want the one to tell me that I was you know, performing suboptimally. It's like, right. if I could go to competition thinking I was the shit. Exactly. They were going to, I was going to find out one way or another. I'd rather find out in the but gym with help, my friends. They'll be the right. ones who are helping you out. Though. Yeah, they'll be the ones pointing sure. it out for you. Yeah. Like they'll be the ones who are interested in get, having you, even if it's you surpassing them. Right. Which I find so amazing. Like if you're hanging out with the right people, mm-hmm. like they are so happy for you, yeah. regardless of whether or not that keeps you on their level yeah. or not. You'll find out quickly yeah. who those people are not exactly. as well. <laughs> and, yeah. and you should definitely do your own filtering. Oh, yeah. Like, well, sometimes that happens on its own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely helps out a bit. But the, the concept is what we are the architects of our future. Sometimes I, I refer to it as you're the, the author, the director, and the main character in your own movie. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like where things are going, you can re-script it. Like, you have that ability. You get to write whatever it is. So if you don't like, and again, at my moment in life, when I hit my rock bottom, I didn't like where I was. I just rewrote it. I was willing to say, okay, let's just change the narrative, change everything about it. I stopped being the person I was supposed to be, if you will. And I was just authentically me, over-delivered as much as I possibly could, build up a client base that essentially became my marketing team because they 
were raving fans about what I did. And then over time, I started recognizing more need in the marketplace and need for things like accounting. So I opened an accounting practice, need for actual high advanced financial reviews. So I opened a fractional CFO company, uh, need for learning more things about a business. So I opened a coaching business. So I, I just saw a need in the marketplace. And once I got to a certain level in a business th that I felt was comfortable and that could operate without me being day-to-day -day in it, then I would explore the, the other opportunity. And that's how now we have what we have. And it, it didn't happen overnight. It definitely didn't happen overnight. <laughs> um, <laughs> I it's think been an evolution. A, I think it's a great place to roll the credits yeah. of the movie. Awesome, awesome, man. Thanks so much where for your time. Can, uh, where can people find you? And yes, thank you for coming on. Oh, 100%. Thank you guys. So like, what you guys are doing is amazing for your community because at the end of the day, um, this whole concept of being able to be a, like a fly on the wall in conversations like this is a form of mentorship, right? You have, mm -hmm. You're giving people the opportunity to learn vicariously through others. So what you're doing is awesome, and I applaud you for that. I appreciate that. Thank try you. Try to. Yeah, <laughs> we try to have a lot of times it's just him and I, and we're talking about things we love, and yeah. and we but, get some opportunities like this. But people, people are watching, and you are having an impact. Whether so. you see it or not, you're having – even if it's just literally one person – you just changed someone's life. And that's that's a pretty darn amazing thing. Well, when you think about it like that, that is cool. Yeah. Hopefully so, we are. Yeah. Thank anyone you. who's interested, they can follow me on socials, um, on Instagram. It's uh, Instagram and TikTok are the same handle, at Edward Collins underscore upleveled. And uh, yeah, reach out, follow, and let me know if you like what we're doing. Awesome. Amazing. Thank Thanks. you, man. Thanks. Really appreciate you coming on. A lot of fun.